Imagine being shipwrecked and solitary on an island. I know this sounds like a cliched introduction to a reality show, but hang on to that driftwood. It certainly is a terrifying idea for screen-staring city slickers. Most of us don't even possess mildly practical skills to survive like Robinson Crusoe. But for tool-making archaeologists, the real McCoys with Sherlockian skills, a castaway's life is clearly elementary. Meet the authentic Flintstones. This is a story about reliving the past, a narrative about archaeologists rewriting dates of early human migration to India, stone tool butcherers, and a deerskin-clad hunter. You're listening to Desi Stones and Bones, a podcast largely featuring India's paleontological and archaeological riches. A buffet of stories on hunters of fossils and discoverers of antiquities that amazed me and will hopefully amaze you. In a two-story building past twinkling glass facades of software makers, Akhilesh Kumar was buried in a seemingly low-tech activity. He was methodically hammering a quadzai block with hard and soft blows. Quartzite is essentially baked sandstone, which has a smooth skin and kind of a rigid innard. It's a ritual he settles down to every day at his workplace in the coastal South Indian city of Chennai. It's his key to unbolting puzzles about prehistoric man in India. Who was there in India is a big question. How people were learning How in the past. they were geographically aware, spatially aware of the landscape more than a million years ago. What choices they made in selecting the raw material. What is the reason for the way in which that person has done it in this way? How that he structures his behavior. What is going through his mind? Why is he using certain techniques and why is he making certain choices rather than and others? And how they reduce the giant course? That was archaeologist Shanti Pappu. Over two decades, Shanti and her colleague Akhilesh have tolerated a blow-torching sun and hissing reptiles as they shoveled for stone tools, or lithics, in Atiram Pakkam. Lithics comes from the Greek word lithos for stone. Atiram Pakkam, located northwest of Chennai, is a national treasure of sorts. Some of India's first prehistoric stone tools were discovered here more than 150 years ago. In September 1863, a 29-year-old British geologist, Robert Bruce Foote, decided to scan Atirampaka. During one of his walks on a dry stream bed, he found hand axes, which are pear-shaped stone tools, and also cleavers. These lower Paleolithic or Old Stone Age tools were probably used as butchering implements by ancient man. In India, archaeologists rarely come across skulls and bones of ancient humans as a clammy environment motors decomposition. However, stones are resilient to this stuffy assault, helping us chase the trails of human evolution and migration. The luxuriously bearded foot's findings hurled India onto the world map of prehistory. More than a century and a half later, a similar event was brewing. When Shanti and Akhilesh decided to explore Atirampakam in 1999, they hired labourers to shovel pits 
pits plunging 30 feet below the surface. These were trenches deep enough to gobble a bus. The digs happened on the bed of a meandering stream. On some days, hissing cobras jabbed awake from their holes stopped excavations. In fact, right from the start, it may have seemed like a hopeless task to spade through soil previously thought to be of the dinosaurian period, millions of years before any apes even appeared. But as sand and gravel were scooped out of the pits, they discovered a layer cake of old Stone Age tools. They also found innumerable rock chips. The stone scraps seemed like gibberish inserted in an essay or like an annoying bug in a seamless computer program. It was a puzzle that left them scratching their heads. Shanti and Akhilesh had learned to make stone implements through a course in France, and in 2008, they put it into practice. They grabbed some tennis ball-shaped hammer stones and started sculpting stone tools to mimic those found on site. The act itself was called napping, with a K, which is fast becoming an inseparable ingredient for archaeologists cooking up experiments. Experiments that could solve mysteries linking stone tool making to human evolution. Usually we start with this. And this is the quartzite. So in the quartzite, I just make this little platform. This is strong. The earliest stone tools were gently unwedged by archaeologists excavating in the arid ravines and acacia dotted gorges of East Africa. These crude blades were probably made more than 3 million years ago by Australopithecus. The word itself is a combination of the Latin Australis and the Greek Pithecos, and that translates as Southern Ape. They were bipedal primates, which meant that they could walk on two feet. Africa's green landscape was being brushed over with shades of ochre. Forests were shrinking, and grasslands began to crawl over. Our ancestors desperately spidered down trees in search of food. The gait flipped from knuckle walking to standing upright on two feet. Now the hands were hanging loose. The digits were fidgety, itching to pick rocks, chuck it, bang it against each other. It was the start of tool making. Until then, there was probably no easier way to rip bone bags left over by predators. Stone tools simplified this task. It was now easy to tear into the bones, smash it, and slurp out the gooey marrow. Curtains had gone up for the Paleolithic Age. And relics of this old Stone Age technology are found strewn in open-air sites or below the ground of settlements established anywhere between 3 million to 10,000 years ago. This was the Pleistocene Epoch the start of the last known ice age on Earth. In this teeth-chattering chill, oceans turned pale and swelled into glaciers. Cold winds probably blanketed the planet. The megafauna of this epoch included woolly mammoths, giant deers and sloths, gynormous bisons, camels and horses. It was in this span of time that humans also evolved and went on to rule the earth. Proponents of the migration theory believe that primitive man, 
possibly the upright walking Homo erectus, traveled to India from Africa through parts of West Asia in small bands. They hiked from India's north to its south along the country's coast before swerving east and reaching sites like Athirampakkam, where some toolmakers set up their workshop. For the past decade, Akhilesh's focus has been to mimic the artisanship of these settlers. You must understand how these tools were actually made. And without experimentation, you are going to get stuck at some point in time. The experiments essentially helped glue a pattern of events. For instance, it struck Akhilesh and Shanti that it required a group effort to break a big rock into a hand-sculptable piece. And once you had that chunk, you now had to be creative enough to visualize the tool within that stone. Because lots and lots of planning. All the time you have to go on thinking at least ahead two, three steps. Akhilesh often toils eight to nine hours a day making stone tools. Cuts and calluses dot his palm. They are proof of not just his paleolithic genes, but also the toothiness of the tools. I'm passionate about napping. Yeah, so he napping today, he's napping from 8 in the morning. Yes. What are you making? All those what you have seen? You, you saw four and beautiful hand axes. Shanti dug through a red plastic box and pulled out a Ziploc pouch, bearing a palm-sized artifact. The stone tool bulged at the center and sloped towards the edges, giving it the shape of a pier. The hand axe was essentially stone tool technology 2.0. It is a symmetrical object, teardrop shaped, and it is beautifully made in many cases. Whatever it is, they are achieved trying to go for symmetry. And many people have debated that the type of hand axes, some of them are ultra big or ultra small or with a shell in between or they're aiming for something aesthetic and it's not only functional. Uh, you know, some people think hand axes are kind of, they call them the Swiss army knives of prehistory, that they have many different functions. These are beautifully made tools, probably better made than they have to be. That's Nicholas Toth. Nicholas and his spouse, Kathy Schick, are veteran archaeologists who run the Stone Age Institute. The organization based in Indiana in the United States focuses on the study and practice of primitive technology. And Nicholas is right. The hand axe was a multi-tool of sorts. It could be used for bludgeoning, crushing, scraping. As a result, archaic man's lunch options grew. Now he could actually strategize with his band to trap and club an animal. Then butcher it, allowing the group to sink their teeth into the choicest chunks, including organs like the liver, kidney, even the heart and brain. I reached out to Nicholas and Kathy a few months ago to get a sense of how adept these stone tools were and why such experiments are key for peeling the evolutionary layers of man. Hello? Kathy and Nicholas are devoted to actualistic studies and they raise the bar of experimentation to a whole new level. A few decades ago, they put simple stone tools flaked off a volcanic rock to the ultimate test, elephant butchery. Imagine cutting a car tire using a razor blade. According to Kathy, it felt a bit like that. Still, 
The tools managed to slice through the pachyderm's steel gray hide that was one inch thick. For the record, they worked on the carcass of an already dead elephant. That was something that was really quite a revelation to us early on, doing elephant butcheries with. You realize that the very simplest stone technology would allow our ancestors to access the meat of the largest terrestrial animal we have around right now. It's a, a simple tool and a mighty task, you could say. If unrefined stone flakes could be used to fillet the rich red meat of megafauna like elephants, then imagine the capabilities of the more sophisticated, pear-shaped multi-tool. Hand axes were the gadget of choice for more than a million years across Africa, Europe and Asia. The oldest hand axes found in Africa go as far back as 1.7 million years and are often found alongside fossils of Homo erectus, our hunter-gatherer ancestors. Taller and with smaller jaws and bones, but a bigger brain than his predecessors, Homo erectus, or upright man, was anatomically closer to modern humans. He was probably adept at sparking a delicious barbecue too, having befriended fire. It's interesting that it's only after the advent of stone tools in human prehistory that we start seeing the dramatic growth in the size of the brain. I mean, no other animal has had a brain triple its size in just a few million years. Uh, that's that's co-evolving with a rapid complexity in technology and other things as well. Our brains are three times that of our earliest tool-making ancestors, Australopithecus. The calculations are based on the capacity of their fossilized skulls. Over time, as food was chopped using stone tools and cooked on fire, digestion got simpler, the gut shrank, and this freed up energy for a rapidly growing brain. The jump in cognitive capacity was accompanied by a rising sophistication in stone tools. There was increased miniaturization, a bit like the lighter laptops or slimmer phones of today. Stone implements transitioned from being large and bulky in the old Stone Age, also known as the Paleolithic Age, to sharp and small in the Middle Stone Age or Mesolithic. They turned smaller, polished and shiny in the Neolithic or the New Stone Age before man discovered metal. You know, we obviously, as, as archaeologists, pull things out of the ground that could be anywhere from 50 to 5 million years old. That's Bill Schindler, an anthropologist as well as an experimental archaeologist who teaches at Washington College in Maryland, which is in the United States. Like the others you heard, he too is a devotee of the hands-on approach to studying archaeology. Once he went to the extent of making a buckskin shirt and loincloth for himself out of the remains of deer hunts. During a graduation ceremony, Bill stripped off his cap and gown to reveal his Stone Age fashion, much to the amusement of a guffawing audience. We have a very difficult time understanding how these items were made, how they functioned, how efficient they were, why they were discarded. What experimental archaeology gives us today 
is a way to do that using all of our senses. Bill finds that we shrug off key milestones in human evolution until we grapple with it ourselves. The rush one gets from making fire, for instance. He was awestruck when he tried it for the first time. I remember where I was. I was in, in, in Maryland on, on the Western Shore at a primitive technology event, and um, somebody did a demonstration, and I, and I sat there, and it took me over half an hour to get it. That feeling of accomplishment and connection when I took literally just a few pieces of wood and a string and created a flame was so powerful that it has never left me. Some of you may be familiar with Bill Schindler if you watched National Geographic's television series, The Great Human Race, which tried to restage the prehistoric way of life. In one episode, Bill and co-host Cat Bigney club and spear a jungle fowl. They later barbecue it over a fire after plucking off its feathers by hand and slicing through it using a hand axe. What I've realized is that almost every single prehistoric and many historic technologies are focused on food. Getting food, processing food, storing food, redistributing food, sharing food, all of those things that make our way of approaching food a human way of approaching food. Bill, his wife and kids largely eat food that they themselves have made. They ripen cheese, make sourdough bread, hunt deer, even squirrels, and forage for mushrooms. The courses he teaches incorporate these elements and also other hands-on experiences where students make stone tools and learn to actually butcher. Bill believes that our intellect gets a supercharge with such emotions. As soon as you've even, you know, banged on a rock several times and realized that this is successful, this was what I was trying to do, immediately you gain an insight and a connection to the tool maker. Again, it could be hundreds or thousands of years ago, and you can understand something that I, I don't think you can do without having done it. That was me struggling to knock off shards from an unfinished hand axe that Akhilesh handed me. I eventually cracked its emerging tip. Oh no! How did this happen? It happens actually. It's not that it has happened with you. It can happen with anybody. Now I'm working on this. Akhilesh seemed to make stone tool napping look like child's play. But flaking a quartzite rock with a hammer stone required teeth clenching power. It takes several cuts, bleeds, and breakages before successfully chiseling a hand axe. Until Atiram Pakam's stone tool assemblage was scrutinized through similar experiments and lab tests, it was assumed that early humans existed in India more than half a million years ago. This was close to the existence of our Paleolithic ancestors in Europe. But that date was to be crossed off the calendar. Once they started crafting stone tools, Shanti and Akhilesh first reclassified nearly 10,000 finds into appropriate design slots. Essentially, the orphan shards found on the site were matched to the waste chips falling from the tools that Akhilesh made. This check revealed which tools possibly existed on the site, even if they couldn't be found. 
a bit like scrutinizing crumbs on the table to infer that somebody has eaten a chocolate cake. Then, around 2011, lab tests revealed that some of the artifacts were much older than similar tools found in India. As we excavated, we had many surprises thrown up by the site. The discovery of tools which we later dated to uh, between 1 million to 1.7 million. The tools were almost as old as those found in Israel, which were the oldest stone implements found outside of Africa. Africa, which is the cradle of humankind. A bit like their predecessor, Robert Bruce Foote, Shanti and Akhilesh had put India back on the table for discussions on ancient humans. Our erect-walking carnivorous, tool-making ancestor had migrated to India from East Africa not 600,000 years ago, but more than a million years ago. Wandering in small bands of perhaps 15 to 20 people, they probably settled on the banks of a water body in Atirampakkam, a magnet for animals and plants. Tool-making experiments have revealed that all the settlers in Atirampakkam were expert nappers or stone tool makers, a badge now worn by Akhilesh, who would have quite adeptly fit into this very settlement. Any part. <laughs> now, now I make uh, hand axe, I make lever, and then you can see the blades, so micro leads, so all, all parts. Thank you for listening. Until next time, bye-bye.